Hello and welcome to the Movie Bunker podcast with me, Matt. Hey, it's me, Chris. I always say Matt in a weird way on this. I don't know why. I don't go up to people in the street and they go, what's your name? I go, and I'm Matt. <laughs> Is that a little inflection it's... sort of thing, like you're yeah, asking a like question? A... Yeah, it's like my name has become a question, and I'm Matt. <laughs> I, I got people it. ask who you are with me. I'm just ignored, generally speaking. By <laughs> What's the uh, Movie Bunker all about? Generally speaking, Movie Bunker is about finding the gem, the underrated film, the film that was cast aside by critics, but unfairly so. Um, and we will watch it and then tell you that it's been unfairly cast aside. As of yet, <laughs> on episode whatever the hell this 60. is now. 61. 60 odd, 60 odd. Uh, we have not found it yet. We have found the critics to be normally quite right. Also, we get some fantastic guests in. Yeah, we get them to uh, defend the honour of a, a critically yeah, yeah. movie that's been given the turkey status by maybe their journalist peers. We live and die by subscribers and people that uh, write a review and, and uh, tell their friends. So if you, if you like the podcast, just make sure you go on. Uh, social media so give us a follow we're on twitter facebook and instagram and if, you, uh, if you google us we're in tons of places there's obviously quite a few places that just obviously take the apple xml and just stream the crap stream out it. so chris you had a guest yes yeah, so it was my turn to speak to somebody uh, i spoke to chris tilly chris tilly is a now a freelance writer but i was formerly a fandom ign and time out and hot dog magazine and He is a co-host of Clash of the Titles podcast, which is a brilliant podcast. But yeah, we talk about his movie Guilty Pleasure, which is a film that I've never seen. Oh. Jim Carter. Jim Carter. Yeah, it's like... um, Oh, yes, no, I've seen this, yes. It's like one of those blood sport first thing you've all done, like martial arts ones. Yeah. Now, I have to confess, I couldn't watch it because I couldn't find it without having to pay for it so it was a cheapskate so but I absorbed as much like YouTube footage as I could and read up about it um, and out of context it's a very bizarre watch and I, I implore you those who have not heard of it to seek out as much of the YouTube clips that are out there as possible because it is a bonkers um yeah so it's a fascinating chat and uh chris tilly's a, a really good really good guest because he, he's got a lot of film backgrounds i must confess there was a little bit of a, a technical issue with with my side of the of the vocal but um, that's right I've, I've, I've cleaned, I've <laughs> nothing cleaned, important <laughs> i've cleaned it up as best i can but there's a tiny echo and I, I don't know where it's come from but anyway i've got rid of most of it but uh, just hope it doesn't spoil your fun and remember after the interview uh we have our feature piece what is our feature piece Oh, yeah, the new feature piece is What Happens Next, and it's our little thing. It's a zinger of a title. <laughs> yeah. So basically, we pick a film, and it's not a bad film. It can be a good film. We decide or think about the, the scenes immediately after the end of the film. So not the sequel part of it, you know, not thinking about a sequel plot. No. Nah. But what would happen in the, the scenes directly after the end credits, or just before the end credits, if you like. And it's your turn this week, and what film have you picked? I've picked a current movie. I picked Us, which I watched over the weekend, and it was a good laugh. So here's the interview. Hi, it's Chris here from the Movie Bunker podcast, and tonight I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Tilly, who's a writer 
film journalist and co-presenter of Clash of the Titles podcast. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Chris. Uh, Thank you for having me. I feel honoured to be on. The Bunker Overlords have spoken, lured you into the bunker to talk about quite a mysterious movie, I must say, something I've never, ever heard of. What was your movie of choice? Uh, I have picked the 1985 action epic, Jim Carter. And it is an epic. We'll get on to the delights of Jim Carter a bit later on. Talk about how you got into movies and writing. Well, I I grew up being a movie geek, watching films like Jim Carter throughout the 80s. (laughs) I kind of loved, I loved film and football and music. And I I wanted to sort of see if I could find a job writing out one of those. And and film was the one I kept coming back to. I got a job a couple of years out of uni uh, at a film magazine called Hot I was lucky. It was my it was my favourite magazine at the time. It was it didn't get the kind of access that Total Film and Empire got. It was a smaller operation, but it, it meant that we were a bit freer to say kind of whatever we wanted. And so we were kind of the naughty younger brother sort of taking the piss and having a laugh. Yeah, generally being a bit cheeky. It was a great place for my first job. It was based down in Bournemouth. And I, I worked there for a couple of years before uh, I got a job at Time Out in London. They, they wanted to launch a film website. And so I oversaw that job for a couple of years. And then, yeah, then I got a job at IGN, being their film editor. They wanted to launch their film side of the site in the UK. And so I oversaw that and I was there for nearly 10 years doing film, but starting to do a bit of TV as well. And then finally, my last job was at a website called Fandom. They, again, wanted to launch. I sort of seem to be the person people bring in when you want to launch something. And so they launched their entertainment division in the UK. And I was there for a couple of years building the team, covering stuff in the UK. And then I've been freelance for the last year. So, but all the way through that, it's been it's been watching movies, writing about movies and, and, and covering that kind of thing. Is there a film maybe last year that really sort of disappointed you that we're really looking forward to? There is one actually, and it was it was John Wick three because I I so love the first two movies. John Wick's one of my favourite films of the last ten years. Mm. I thought the the second film they did a they upped the ante in terms of action. I, I don't think it was a better film, but in terms of what was on screen, the stunts and the fights was was even more impressive. And the third one, I just thought it was a bit of a mess. I didn't really care about what he was up to. I, I don't. I, there were times I wasn't even on his side. I couldn't really understand what he was fighting for. It went from the first film, him, you know, fighting for his dead wife and his dead dog, to in this one, it was about some rules being broken. Scores of people are being killed because some, some dumb rules been broken. So that was, uh, that was a big disappointment. I have to agree. I actually watched this at the weekend. Like yourself, I really enjoyed one and two. This one, there were several bits and moments and scenes where you just didn't really care. The introduction of, of uh, Halle Berry is, although she was pretty good in the role, nothing, nothing wrong with that, but it seemed to add another element that wasn't really needed. Yeah, I felt like, yeah, I agree. I think they added, they added less interesting new characters this time around. The fight scenes were still good, but I think we come to expect more from those films than just good fights and so yeah it, it just didn't work for me and I'm gutted because I, you know it sounds like they're going to make more and I've kind of I'm lose, I've lost interest already Clash of the Titles podcast that you do how did that happen? That came through uh, a friend of mine Alex Zane who people might know he presents the movie shows on Sky he does the red carpets and, and presents the premieres in Leicester Square. And, and he, uh, about a year ago, he, he wanted to do a, a, something of his own in film in terms of podcasts. And it was at just the time when I was looking to do something. So we, we met up, we, we had a bit of a brainstorm, decided we, we could work together, uh, brought a screenwriter friend of ours, uh, Vicky Crompton, on board. We came up with a premise that really gave us total freedom to really cover any kind of films we want from, you know, bad films to, to blockbusters to art house. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been really good fun. Do you have two films that can 
basically go head to head, not necessarily genre, but in terms of uh, how the movie's pitched and some of the major themes. Sure. It's basically, they've just got to have one thing in common, which which gives us quite a lot of freedom. I mean, I quite like it when it's quite vague and quite, or very specific, the the, the connection. Sometimes more often than not, we've gone for something that's pretty obvious. So we did Ravenous and Bone Tomahawk. Those are all cannibal movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were all cannibal movies that were period pieces set in the Old West, which was a lot of connections. We did The Hangover Bridesmaids, which seemed like an obvious one, but was a, was a fun one to go, the sort of male and female version of that that story. We did Manhunter and Science of the Lambs to see two very different approaches to Hannibal Lecter. We've done an obvious one like Deep Impact and Armageddon, where uh, you know two films with the same premise came out in the same year. And, and um, just the last one we did was Rain of Fire and Pacific Rim, because... I clocked that they're both set in uh, 2020. And so we launched that one on New Year's Eve. You know, these, both those films will kind of predict what 2020 would be like. And they both got it wrong. And there's some good jumpers as well in that movie. Oh, yeah. The knitwear, <laughs> the knitwear I think, has only been bested by Chris Evans uh, in Knives Out recently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the one episode I enjoyed as well uh, was The Raid uh, versus Dread. Yes! I'm still annoyed about that one. The main connection between these two is the fact that it's a, there's a tower uh, and, and you go from the bottom to bottom floor to the top floor. Yeah. The higher you get, the more affluent the villain is, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but it's like that video game premise where, you know, it's, it's a series of end-of-level bosses the further you, you get up the building. And then at the end of each show, we vote on which one did it better. And, and I'm still gutted about that one because Dread beat the raid. I was out vote. Go to my grave saying that was incorrect. Well, why didn't we get a Dread sequel? He was perfect for the role I thought they got the tone just right it didn't make enough money I mean I I was with the guy that that wrote and and basically directed Ali Garland the the weekend it came out and and I said to him well it's done enough for you to get a sequel he said it really hasn't we needed and and he blamed it on them giving it an R rating which you know was the school of thought at the time obviously since then we've had superhero movies with it with an R rating that have made a ton of money for whatever reason audiences just were not interested in that story at that time well maybe they weren't ready for the R rated superhero movie because he's not technically a superhero but it's a comic book genre movie um now it seems the studios are tripping over themselves to get the next r-rated movie pushed out and and, and actually wanting and knowing that the fans are actually wanting something a little bit more grittier and gorier and swearier than what we've had for the last whatever 10-15 years of superhero films yeah and i think everyone's been waiting for for netflix to turn around and offer them some money to do a a dread tv series or something using the same the same actor you know the 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 people that own dread i think it's it rebellion they've been talking about about launching a a tv show and and building studios and doing that but i I feel like i've heard that story for the last three years so yeah we look at the mandalorian i mean there's, there's similarities between the characters, in a way, that you don't see their faces, and it's kind of he's a bounty hunter, and Dredd is a well, he's a law enforcer of a different kind. The two have very similar kind of tone, tonally are quite similar in terms of how they could be approached on screen or TV screen, at least. No, agreed. I think maybe everyone's just overestimated how many people actually have heard of of, of Judge Dredd and are interested in those stories. Whereas with Star Wars, you've got that yeah. USP and that that built-in audience already. I guess if you were. 2000 AD person you would dread and road trooper and all those other characters were kind of it was an alternative mm. to like the marvel and dc uh, you were a british comic uh, enthusiast and they were kind of like the pinnacle of of comics for the uk I, I think in my opinion i agree and what might help is that is that duncan jones who made moon and source code and and warcraft has, has been working on a, a rogue trooper movie for the last couple of years yeah um, I don't think that's got a start date or, or yet, but um, I'm, I, he's assured me that that's going to happen. So that might help the cause. 
He keeps tweeting these little pictures and bits and pieces, doesn't he, about it. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does with it. We can't dilly-dally anymore. We've got to get on to Jim Carter. Are <laughs> <laughs> you sure you want to? His name, Kurt Thomas. His title, three-time world gymnastics champion. His assignment, a secret mission for the United States government. His only weapon, himself. And that's all he needs. Combine the discipline, the timing, and the power of gymnastics with the explosive force of karate. And a new, all-powerful martial art is born. Jim Kata. Kurt Thomas becomes Jonathan Cabot. He must penetrate a mountain fortress to compete in an ancient savage ritual. They call it the game. But nobody wins. And nobody lives. Until now. When gymnastics and karate are fused, the combustion becomes an explosion. And a new kind of martial arts superhero is born. Jim Kata. I watched and absorbed as much YouTube and any other stuff I could find on the internet. And I think I got the general gist from what I could see. I'm still disturbed. Let's do the plot synopsis. An American gymnast travels to a foreign country to compete in a deadly game, not won by anyone other than the natives in more than 900 years. That's the basic plot synopsis. Explain a little bit to me about the concept of Jim Carter, if you can. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I don't know where to begin, really. There's a, we've got to talk about the actor some point because I think that's where this all started they, they cast um, a guy called Kurt Thomas as the lead he's a guy who'd never acted but he was a gymnast who'd earned six medals at the world championships in 1979 and so the idea of Jim Carter is it's an action movie that combines gymnastics with karate the, the, the tagline was the thrill of gymnastics the kill of karate <laughs> and um, so they got this guy in who couldn't act but could do flips and kicks and they combined his skills with, with, a, with a book. It was a book written in 1956 called uh, The Terrible Game. Um, mm. They kind of adapted that to incorporate his gymnastic skills. Yeah, it's, it's quite a crazy plot. It, it starts off with him doing his gymnastics and then immediately he's summoned by the American government because they want him to compete in a, in a game in this fake, in this made-up country called Palmerstan. <laughs> and it's a deadly game where you either die or win. And if you win, your one wish is granted by the king of Palmerstown. <laughs> and the wish that the American government want him to choose is to place a Star Wars satellite system inside Palmerstown so they can monitor other satellite systems in case of nuclear attack. Topical then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's well. It was it was right at the as just as the um the Cold War was at its height. This film was made, so a lot of American action movies were were sort of anti Cold War, anti Russian, anti Afghanistan. So yeah, it was all part of that kind of cabal of movies. But it's it's the mo the first sort of half hour. It's the most over explained movie I think I've ever seen, and at the same time, it's really under explained. So 
Mm. There's scene after scene where they tell you what this deadly game is and what it involves. And yet when I'm watching, I still don't really understand the rules. The stuff that's online that you can see for free. Yeah. Kind of zoom in on a lot of the uh, scenes where it's like some sort of horror film village that basically everyone is in the dark ages. And he's wandering around in, in these sweaters um, being attacked by villagers with backless gowns on. And people with double faces, old hags trying to kill him. Weird sound effects. It's something you can't forget. That's the penultimate uh, phase of the film, of, of the game, and that's the, that's the village of the damned where uh, the king of Palmerstan, or Khan of Palmerstan is called, um, that's where the country sends all the criminally insane people. And so um, no one, no competitor in 900 years has managed to get through the village of the damned because in the <laughs> middle of the town there's a pommel horse <laughs> and our man is good at gymnastics. He kicks all the mentally ill locals in the head and succeeds because this only works if they run directly at him, but yeah. they do. And it only works if he can find chalk and somewhere he keeps getting chalk to put on his hands. Yeah. And, and, and so, yeah, that's probably the most distasteful sequence in the film, but also well, maybe the most memorable. I guess watching it out of sequence like I have doesn't set it up because obviously I just imagined he was in a, a crazy place, which obviously is, um, with this weird imagery. Yeah, he's like wandering around avoiding spears there's a lot of spears isn't there there's, no one's really got guns until he, in the village there's a lot of um like hand-to-hand -hand combat there's axes and things like that but he is very vulnerable but why wouldn't they yeah, give him something to go in with it's well well in, in palmistan there are no guns allowed and so there is a sequence just before he arrives in the country where he meets a government agent who provides him with the necessary weapons and equipment and it's a very Bond-like scene where they're custom-made gadgets. They're then never seen again in the film. It's, it's one of these films where you just don't... I, the script, you know, it feels like five different people wrote the scripts and no one read each other's versions because it felt like they wanted to, they wanted to make an action film, but they also wanted to make a spy film, but then they forgot they were making a spy film. And um, they cast a guy who was good at... at gymnastics but not good at fighting but he's got great sweaters in each scene he does seem to have a quite impressive sweater and he can carry it off because he's obviously got very sportsman's physique um i was impressed i mean he, he looks he looks good but he can't he can't emote or act there's a very bizarre love story in the film as well and and, and that's where you really see how bad Kurt Thomas is acting because there's a there's a relationship he has with the the princess rubali of, of palmerstar who who doesn't speak for the first half of the film. He does what I call flirtnastics. He tells her that he likes her while doing 360 degree flips in front of her and then kisses her and then they're holding hands. They still haven't spoken to each other at this point, but um, they, they fall in love with each other. But yeah, he, his, his acting kind of really falls down when, when he's having to show that um, affection for another person. And this was the only movie that Kurt Thomas made, isn't he? He hasn't done anything since. He, he, did a, he did a circus TV movie in 2003, and he was okay. briefly in a Spanish film called Slam. Yeah, I mean, this was it for him, really. It feels like, I, I remember I heard a story about Masters of the Universe when um, Sylvester Stallone visited the set and he watched them shooting for a bit and then called the director over and said, you've given him lines. Why have you given Dolph Lundgren lines? You, you don't give that man lines. Yeah. And, and I felt like maybe that's the way they should have gone with this. Uh, you know, give him few words, but just let him do his physical stuff. His dad turns up later on as well, doesn't he? Uh, he's playing the game too. Has he already? Has he been there for a while, trying to compete? Yeah, his his dad previously played the game and and was thought dead. 
and then uh, he rescues him from the village of the dams. It's supposed to be this twist where he's, he's, he's still alive. It doesn't really work as a twist and tells him that he, he was... He fell, he fell down a gorge, trees broke his fall, and he lost the use of one of his arms. Uh, he got captured and was going to be used as diplomatic bait, they call it. But he rescues him. They spend two minutes together, and then just as they're hugging for the first time, he takes an arrow to the back. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it doesn't last long. No, there's, a real, there's some real emotion, emotional weight when you really need it. I mean, it does, does pull, pull on the heartstrings, I think, every now and again. And then there is a... There's a, there's a I mean, my favourite moment in the whole film is the ending. The, the hero defeats the villain and he's riding back into town on a horse and he gets a hero's welcome and the girl runs and kisses him. And on the horse behind him, the, the, on the back of his horse, his dad is still there with an arrow in his back, <laughs> not dead. And no one's helping him. No one's checking him out. Everyone's celebrating. And it's, that's the ending of the movie. If you were to potentially recast and remake this film for you know 2020 have you got any ideas of how we would do this because i think it would work wouldn't it well i think there's two directions you could go in you could you could do the semi-serious version and and there was a film in about 2005 a, a thai film called born to fight which i i love but it's very hard to even harder to track down than this one and that was about a group of athletes helping a poor village saving them from a, from a tyrant by by using their athletic skills to kill these terrorists. It's a much better film, you know, there's been much more attention paid to the script and they cast actors who could do these things, not athletes who could maybe act. So you, I think you could do a, a serious version of it or I think you could play it for laughs. You could, I don't know, cast Seth Rogen in the lead or something and, and, and have a bit of fun with this premise of a, of a, of a star athlete being sent to, um, well, I mean, I'm not going to do the plot again, but it's no. so ridiculous. I think you could, there's, there's a funny version of it. Yeah, definitely. You could you almost have the underdog uh, loser you know, always coming last, like an Eddie the Eagle type scenario where, you know, he's not ever, he's never, never won a gold medal, but he goes and helps out some sort of, I don't know, uh, Eastern European country to defeat the big bad. Uh, but maybe. Because you've got, you've got some, you've also got athletes that are kind of like rock stars that are much more media savvy these days. So you could send, you could, you could use someone like Usain Bolt or Michael Phelps or, you know, Michael Phelps could be an Aquaman-like character and, and, and Usain Bolt could be like the Flash. Like, yes. I'd, I'd watch that. <laughs> it's, I think you should start writing some of this down, Chris. You've got some gold. <laughs> what we normally do for our guests on the podcast is that you get a, gold, a golden pass. So basically any film that you do decide you want to discuss on the podcast gets free reign uh, throughout the land uh, is not buried in the bunker forevermore for, oh. uh, for consumption so i think uh, jim carter needs to be seen to be believed film has progressed if, if you know what i mean it's kind of like it's a it's one of those nostalgic things that you can watch and say okay right this was a time or this is a movie for its time it reflects a lot of the same uh, hopes and fears of the 80s and early 90s and therefore should be seen because of that it's a it's a piece of it's archive footage, essentially, isn't it? Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. It's got things in it that I think you wouldn't see in a film today. Like, there's a scene uh, about halfway through the movie where an, an extra very clearly gets hit quite hard by a horse. And it's yeah. kept in the film. <laughs> it's kept in the film. <laughs> I think nowadays they would reshoot that scene and maybe that, that guy would have a big insurance claim on his hands. But, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> in the Wild West of the 1980s, yeah, print it. It's not just a little shove, it's a full, full, front, full yeah. frontal horse. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm laughing now, but I hope he's not dead. He no, I'm die. sure he's fine. I'm sure he's fine. <laughs> okay, Chris, look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on talking about Jim Carter. And I, I will recommend uh, that anyone goes, anyone who's listening will go and hunt it down. I'll stick some links to some of the YouTube clips that I've enjoyed onto our social media and things and, um, and try and encourage as many people to watch this fascinating movie as possible. It's best to be watched post-pub, is how I would yeah. <laughs> You definitely need to have a few gin and tonics in you, uh, for sure. (laughs) Where can we find you uh, online and on social media and other on your writings and bits and pieces? At Tilly Tweets on Twitter, if you want to read my ramblings. And other than that, it's just um, Clash of the Titles on wherever you get your um, podcasts. I think it's a fantastic idea for a podcast and there's so many films in your episode list that, that I think the majority of people would see and I've seen the film that it's pitted against and, and actually will, will really enjoy how the two movies are played off against each other so it's a great concept thanks ever again much again Chris for joining us on the podcast today thanks a lot Chris it's been a real honour being in the bunker um, I love it down here and I'd love to come back again <laughs> one day you certainly will cheers Chris good interview Chris as always our guests are the best they are good, aren't they? Mm, thank you. Makes me makes me want to watch that film again because I can only barely remember because at the time I was just consuming these sort of low budget karate films like a, an absolute behemoth, just like mm. just trawling the oceans, <laughs> sucking them up. And... I've never seen any of them. I mean, I've thought it's just oh, not I a genre. I, I I watched a lot of sort of the Amblin and the eighties movies of those kind of ilk. You know, all of the John John Claude Van Damme and then yeah. the. Um, uh, yeah, no, yeah, it was, it was, it was so a many. great era and uh, American Ninja. Oh, that was so crap. It was amazing. <laughs> so it's feature time. It's feature time. Is it feature time for us? It's feature time. Oh. This is our thing and, and not for anybody else. I mean, I don't know whether anyone actually listens to this part of the podcast. <laughs> is it all about us, though, is yeah. it, Chris? Yeah, yeah. So I'm us, doing... a little pun <laughs> there. Bloody <laughs> hell, the, that was a long drop. Um, <laughs> so the movie Us okay this is the film I've chosen to discuss now it's spoiler ridden this little part of the seg- this part of the yeah and it's recent I'm- so we definitely have to warn on that yeah yeah if you haven't seen Us go and watch it and then listen to this part of the podcast um, if you have seen it already then just hold on Chris give, give, give him some time go on off you go oh, yeah. come on watch it <laughs> come on right welcome back come back it was a quick film isn't it but yeah a fascinating movie now I, I'm a big fan of the director. Get Out was fantastic. And I really enjoyed it. Watched it again recently at the weekend because it's so watchable. Um, Us, I found entirely engrossing and fascinating. Um, so I thought, what a brilliant idea. And it had a great uh, ending as well. As you, uh... It had a great ending, <laughs> but, you know, in terms of the ending, it leaves, like you say, so many questions unanswered. And yeah. for me, the main problem with Us isn't like the plot or the or the anything else it's because actually everything on screen i thought was amazing problem with the movie is just the logistics of it like the logistics of the actual premise i cannot understand so basically there is a, a doppelganger everyone in this part of america or the entire of america entirely. yeah there's like a pre like a precursor on the credits that's what we'll say at the start saying there are tunnels all under america and no one knows what they're for kind of thing and now yeah. then later on we're, we're then led to believe that these are full of these mad weird crazy clones or some yeah. form of clonage but also the rabbits um but what i wanted to do the rabbits are just the food though right 
I didn't. I didn't get that part. Are they? Yeah, they're just the food. So they they breed the people, and then they have the rabbits. Because remember, she, when she first sits down and <laughs> talking like that, yeah. Oh, I, I, that did. how did she do that for so long? Bloody oh, hell! Brilliant. She's brilliant in it. I must. She say. is brilliant. She. I mean, all of the people when they're playing their sort of evil selves um, are amazing because you're almost not unrecognisable. But um, yeah, she did mention that that all she eats was cold raw rabbit. Um, and oh. I had a problem with that as well, because there is a thing called rabbit starvation, where people through history have actually died despite gorging themselves purely on rabbit. Bloody hell. <laughs> I didn't know that. But what, yeah, what? They're, they're, they're mutually deficient. You can't, unless you eat the heads. I think if you eat the heads or suck the eyeballs out. Eyes and brains are always okay. good, aren't they? Yeah, then you're okay. But if you only eat the flesh of a rabbit, you will die. It's a good, good fact. Um, so I'll bear that in mind. The, no one, worries. <laughs> the, the other logistical part of it is, okay, if they're only eating the rabbit, there's no... It, the, the, the area they were in or they were living in was so clean and tidy. There was no oh. issues of... I just don't understand. Where did the waste go? How were they fed? Who looks after them? Uh, where did the clothes come from? And they were doing the exact same thing as the people above them on the ground were doing, right? So how did they... Is yeah. it just mentally that they knew that was happening? Because I just... Well, they were connected somehow. And then, and then when the boy like makes the other boy walk into the flame by... Walking oh, yeah. backwards. Yeah. So why why all of a sudden did that work? Ah, oh, yes. So, do you know what? Some of it's coming back coming back to me, making a little bit more sense now. If they were connected. They would have been mirroring each other, up and above, uh, below and above ground. But I still but, don't understand why he. <laughs> yeah, because he's a great little character as well. Um, but little yes, dog boy. Yeah. At the end of the movie. Right. right. Yeah. So seven so, scenes. So the film. The film's finished. Yeah. Pretty much. So the last things we see, correct me if I'm wrong here, so they've kind of escaped. There's been a big reveal, which has only been revealed to the audience, in that the, the, the mother is actually one of the others that escaped as a child and swapped with uh, the upper. Yeah, that's, that works. Uh, the upper, yeah, the upper and downer have switched places, um, and the, the mother herself probably didn't remember or blank this out. Then it is known, and then you kind of the, the young boy works this out, and so everything is turned to absolute rat shit. There's like fires everywhere. These all of the uh, unders. Are, uh, <laughs> I don't know what they're called. All, all of the under people are suddenly on the top doing the hands across America thing, but at the same time, seemingly managing to blow up America at the same time. And yeah. they're driving off in the ambulance and the little boy gives her a knowing look. And yeah. then my, my idea for the, for the scene directly after that is that uh, Jordan Peele director will then just come up, pop up on screen and he says, hi, thanks for watching us. <laughs> Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I'm just going to explain to you what it's all about. <laughs> um, so he then does like a little little kind of monologue to the camera uh, and just explains everything for you. Well, what does he say, though? Because this is the important puzzle. What does well, he actually say to explain the film away? He says, basically, don't worry about mm -hmm. any of it uh -huh. because um, it's all called what we call in the movie business poetic license. And ah. what it is is basically just, just go with it I'd like, I'd like it if he just had the mother ask questions. Like, why are all these... But every time he would just put his finger on her lips and... Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Shh. Let's not... 
Let's not ruin. Well, this. the other the other idea <laughs> I heard, Matthew, in all seriousness, is that basically that they they're uh, driving across. They're going somewhere. We don't know where they're going. They're obviously escaping, but eventually they're going to get to the. They're not going to be able to go any further because there'll be a, a line of people with their hands across America blocking the road or blocking. Well, they could they could drive around it or but, you yeah, know, go the opposite direction or run them over i suppose but if they go in the opposite direction it could possibly happen again so they're kind of stuck i mean what is going to happen directly after this that scene anyway i mean it'd be interesting to know where they're going what they're doing and obviously i've given this a great deal of thought as in <laughs> you know i haven't but i just think there's so much opportunity to to have another follow-up movie for this potentially do you know what i mean the army's going to get involved at some point because it wouldn't take yeah, long and the thing is that they, they weren't superhuman they were a bit feisty yeah. but they weren't they weren't magical in any way so a gun would have gone a long way i think yeah. against the pair of scissors yeah an armed vehicle uh, you know, with a turret and stuff. Was just one be... tank. You don't even need to fire it. Just drive it along. The... They put themselves in a perfectly <laughs> formed line. <laughs> you could just shoot one bullet and like, right, <laughs> that's got them. Also, you know, yeah, you could just, I mean, you could do it with a lawnmower. I mean, you just get run them over. That's <laughs> in one line. Yeah. Can you imagine? That's very, that's very like uh, Wiley Coyote style. <laughs> yeah. They didn't, they don't break the chain either. I think they break the chain to sort of get, get anybody that's in the way. But once they're in the chain, they're kind of, that's that, isn't it? Unless they need a wee. Yeah. It's very, you know. it's very, um, it's a very thought provoking film. Is it though? <laughs> Is it though? I mean, I, I did enjoy, I did, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. I, but, um, <laughs> did it's, it. I did enjoy it. I'm telling myself <laughs> I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I, someone, someone either a lot cleverer than I am, which isn't hard to find, um, needs to explain to me exactly the things or everyone just needs to agree that it's, a little bit of style over substance and that it's a beautifully made acted suspenseful film which makes fuck all sense and it's spooky too as well yeah i had to come downstairs afterwards and turn the heating off because i forgot i'd left the heating on and i didn't like that very much no if i'm honest i thought the little the little fucker was in the kitchen <laughs> <laughs> or you or you come face to face with yourself going <laughs> the thing is, your wife would probably say, you know, actually, I'd prefer, <laughs> I'd prefer, prefer you're under you because at least, you know, I mean, I get more sense out of that one. <laughs> at least he puts his socks away. <laughs> it's yeah. clean. Yeah. After he eats his rabbit, he cleans up after him. Yeah, he knows yeah. where the fucking dishwasher is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, people listening to this podcast would probably think, actually, you know, we are probably host, we're hosting from the... What from we should do is, is, ne is next week is present the podcast completely in the style of the unders. <laughs> and just like... <laughs> 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 Oh God! Way to hemorrhage <laughs> listeners. Hang on, we got two <laughs> listeners. We don't want to get rid of those. Way. Okay. Um, okay, well, technically that's... four if he's right, right? <laughs> yeah, good. It's your turn next. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. To, I'll be thankful to hand the baton over because uh, I found that difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll have to find myself a film. So until okay. next time, then I guess. Cheerio. Cheerio.